What's up, guys? This is the 404 Forum, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. What's up, guys? This is Isaiah Smith, your host of the 404 on Podcast. I'm here after a quick Thanksgiving break. Took off um, for the last week or so to kind of get our feet back under us for the th- from the Thanksgiving holiday. Hope you guys had a good one. Um, but I have my guy Eric here. He's back, ready to talk some Falcons. Also going to talk some college football as well. Talk about those first college football playoff rankings that came out um, a couple weeks ago and talk about kind of some of the fallout and things of that nature from that. But Eric, um, hope you had a good uh, good Thanksgiving holiday. Also, hope you had a good birthday yesterday. Heard you uh, turned the big what would that be 25 yesterday yeah i can now rent cars without paying a higher expense so <laughs> it's a joy oh yeah who who says all the uh, all the joy and the birthdays are lost after your 21st that's a lie because let me tell you being able to rent you can also rent condos now i'm pretty sure at a cheaper probably right? yeah okay. i don't right. have to pay yep. that extra fee for being a kid you know exactly exactly so some of those fees drop off you're probably going to get a nice little letter from your car insurance company telling you how your uh, car insurance is less um probably a couple other perks like that they're going to save you you know a few bucks every month so there's there's some things to look forward to so you don't have to uh it's all not all lost after 21 there's some perks but um yeah. gonna jump in and, and go ahead and get it going here with uh with some falcons talk um as of re- recording this the falcons have just lost to the saints um in you know just kind of a ho-hum football game for the most part but kind of looking at the Falcons and kind of going going on past the deep dive that we kind of took um, a couple weeks ago I took a couple weeks ago in the last show with uh, Saul um, but kind of going to bounce around with Eric here for a little bit but you know realistically speaking knowing the result of of today's uh, football game what are the Falcons playoff chances there's some buzz that this team is a fringe playoff contender with the extended playoff but what where do you see this team going in regards to playoffs yeah I think 15 minutes ago if you would have asked me that I would have said there's a chance um I don't now I'd say no um after this loss to the Saints that I mean you're not going to come out of your division on top um and you you have to get a lot of help from a lot of other teams uh if we want to end up in the playoffs so this year I, I'd say the Falcons' opportunity is like 0.1%. I would never count them out, but I'm counting them out. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to say I'm not going to count them out because I am counting them out. I mean, realistically, I mean, if you have to get in the playoffs, if playoff line is 8-8 eight and eight with an expanded playoff in an ultra-competitive NFC, the playoff line may even be 9-7. and seven. But with – with that being being said, your remaining schedule of, you know, New Orleans, which is a loss today, the Chargers, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, um, you would have needed to go four and one with your realistic loss probably coming to the Chiefs in that stretch. The one you could afford to say, hey, probably not winning this football game is the Chiefs, but you've already got your loss. I don't know that I see them beating any of the teams remaining on their schedule. Tampa Bay in week 17 – if they're resting the defense, if they're resting a bunch of guys because their playoff position's locked in. But I also don't know that I see that from Tampa Bay in week 17 because maybe they're jockeying for position to try and draw that NFC East winner. Because if you know the NFC East is the NFC least and the winner of that division will probably just win division games. If you put the Falcons in the NFC East, they're probably a good football team. But I digress on that. But, you know, 
probably in, in jockeying for that, you know, the sixth seed to get the fourth seed to play the NFC East winner, which can be the Giants or whoever it is. I, I still don't see the the Buccaneers laying down in that last week. So realistically speaking, I think they're all but done. I think you can go ahead and flip this thing in tankathon if you're the front office. I think you need to start looking at draft picks. You need to start thinking about, okay, what happens if we lose out? What happens if we win out? Which is still something the Falcons could do. Um, but nonetheless, I, I think that, you know, Tampa Bay is, is going to be solid there. You know, New Orleans is still the number one seed. They've submitted a playoff spot. And Chargers in Kansas City aren't going to be pushovers, even though can't, or the Chargers are not the football team and that the others are the Chargers are still a good team and, and they're going to come with a dynamic offense and Justin Herbert. So just kind of with, with that in mind, I guess with the, the next kind of topic being, you know, who are these Falcons, you know, this iteration, this group, who are they? Are they the good team that we that played the Raiders last week? Are they the team that we saw, you know, two weeks ago against new Orleans or are they somewhere in the middle? You know, I just want to kind of hear you bouncing around. Where do you think they are? Yeah, see, that's the issue is I don't – I wouldn't even necessarily say they're in the middle. I'd say they're both. Um, and that's I, – I would say is the scariest the scariest place we can be. Um, and, and to be completely honest as a fan, it's the worst place you can be because when you look at that, you say, okay, like we can beat these teams. Obviously, the Raiders barely beat the Jets today. Um, but they still played a heck of a game against the Jets. When you look at how they played against New Orleans, yeah, they were playing um, a team that had a tight end at quarterback, but New Orleans is by no means a bad team. Um, and you were hanging with them. Um, I just – they have so much potential. And you get you want to get so excited for them. Yeah. But then you come in and you just get beat by 30. And all of that – all of that potential, all of that excitement that's – Oh, there's a chance. It's gone. And it really, yeah. back back at square one. Yep. It feels like with this team, it's one step forward, two steps back. Every time there's a positive, positive thing, positive momentum, it's almost like you go one step forward, two steps back. Or, you know, you, you it's something like that. And even even in that type of thing, even when you take those two steps back, you still manage to take a couple more steps forward, it seems like, and you're out of the rut and then you fall back into it or you go into a new rut of, of a different kind, whether it be with injuries or whatever, but it, it never seems like you can fully just get out of the rut, which really makes me believe, like you said, you're kind of in that worst possible position of that middle ground, that NFL purgatory where you're not bad enough to get a great draft pick to go with your really good players. You're not good enough to consistently contend. Um, and so I think th the problem we've seen with the Falcons is, is kind of the, the big thing is here. They can't beat good teams. You can beat, teams that are worse than you we've seen that you you know Carolina's probably worse than the Falcons we've seen them beat teams that are on the same level I think Oakland is firmly on a similar level to Atlanta with the way they played you're almost getting beat by the Jets but playing so well against the Chiefs and kind of being inconsistent and being in the middle of the ground but against good teams and the good teams I would say you've played this year being Seattle Green Bay New Orleans and Chicago if you even Chicago being a stretch but against those teams, you've given up 30 and a half points a game while you only score 19. You've been outscored by an average of 11 and a half points a game, so over two scores, or about two scores. You're giving up nearly 400 yards of total offense, and you only gain 363, and you only convert about a third of your, of your third downs. So, truthfully speaking, none of that's good enough. We, I think we know that. Um, and so, I think that kind of 
means they're middle ground, which kind of makes you kind of begs the question now, what, what direction do you see the team going into the, in the off season? You know, is it blow it up or is it right? You know, get a new guy in here and run it back. What, what's your, what are your kind of thoughts on that? And see, that's the issue is that as much as I want to agree with you saying we're on a middle ground, I don't think we are. I, I truly think we are a very good team. I think we are a team that could come out and compete with and beat the Saints. I think we could come out and compete with Kansas City. I, I, I firmly believe we could. But I also think we could come out and play the Jets and lose. Like, oh, yeah. I don't think we're – I don't think we're a middle ground team. I think we're a really good team and a really bad team, which almost doesn't make sense. And that's why I think it's so difficult when you ask this next question of do we blow it up or do we keep it? It's, I, I don't know, you know, I, like I think our defense is, is struggling. I think part of that is injury, but also I think we need to get, um, I don't know if you want to say a quicker secondary or something, but our defense is gouging yards Um, and you and and the the most confounding part of that to me is you have talented pieces on the defensive side of the ball you've got Grady Jarrett who's top two top three in the NFL at his position and and Grady does his job we can't talk you know the blame is not being thrown to Grady Jarrett I'm not trying to say that at all but you got to think also you look around Deion Jones top five at his position um Demonte Kazee is a, a young guy who's very good at his position um, you know, um, A.J. Terrell, a guy who is, as a rookie, is looking pretty solid. Um, so there are good pieces. Keanu Neal, even with the injuries, is still a good football player. There are several solid pieces on this defense. And for whatever reason, it can't all just come together. So I definitely agree with you on that one. No, and, and, and I agree. I think you have a ton of solid pieces on the defense, and, and that's the issue is, you don't necessarily want to blow it up. I think you need to focus on the defense. I think the biggest issue that Atlanta has faced is we've always hired a defensive coach. And when you hire a defensive coach, you will, you, you trust in the coach's ability and you say, okay, well, our defense doesn't have to be as good. Let's get key pieces for our offense. And we, we see that in Julio and Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley and Todd Gurley. We have a ton of, phenomenal offensive pieces that honestly if we just get an offensive head coach we can just outscore every other team and allow those yards to be gouged you know um should we do it no I think we should get some defensive pieces but I think if we get an offensive focused coach or an offensive coordinator as a coach um I I honestly think that our defense will get better because we'll have to get those pieces We'll Definitely. have to get those defensive pieces that are game changers, that make a difference. That's that's a good point. That's not something I'd previously thought about. But but making that point of, okay, we can almost take value guys on the defensive side of the ball instead of getting the proven game breakers and playmakers because you think, well, the coaching is going to make up for it or the scouting. We're going to find diamonds in the rough. And you've seen that not work time and time again. So, and, and that's not a, that's not something I previously thought about. But I do like um, like that idea, especially with this new head coaching hire um, and having all the salary cap tied up on the offensive side of the ball. Is having an offensive guy and milking every last ounce of potential from that offense while you still have him here. So that's not the worst idea considering the situation, and you can still be win now, but also have yourself kind of set up for maybe preparing for 
the next chapter of Falcon football after Matt Ryan, after Julio Jones with this coach in here who understands that you're going to have a couple year window to try to go win. But after that, you can't pay Julio maybe the money he wants on his next contract. If there is one, you can't pay Matt Ryan maybe for another deal or maybe he steps away from it. Whatever the case is, I think having an offensive guy and really focusing, having some, you know, focusing on finding playmakers on the defensive side of the ball is definitely key. So, you know, in in looking forward to that next head coach and that kind of thing, there's, you know, there's a lot of speculation. We've kind of talked about before who we think are guys that we would target and those types of things. And I think we're both on the same page of, hey, let's get a guy in here who knows offense, who lives and breathes Mm -hmm. it and can do the job. But speaking of diversity, you know, with head coach and GM, how how important – you know, do you think it is to have a certain level of diversity in the head coaching hire, the GM hire? Because, you know, there's the, I don't know if you've seen the ESPN article that's out that says they have a very diverse list of GM candidates and, you know, similar things being done in the head coaching search. But how, how important is it to have, you know, diversity in that hire, in your opinion? Yeah, I, you know, here's my thing is ideological diversity. I'm all for it. Um, but ultimately, I want a guy that's going to come in here and win. Um, I say that as a fan, um, if you're looking at it from the outside and, and you don't like love the team and you're like, yeah, cool. They're looking for a head coach. Then yeah, sure. Diversity is important. Um, but as a fan, I'm tired of watching the Falcons lose. Um, I'm tired of, I'm tired of this inconsistency of we're going to be great this week. And then we're going to be awful this week, you know? We're going to beat Kansas City, and then we're going to lose to the Jets. Yep. I'm, I'm tired of that. And, and I want a coach that's going to come in and give me some consistency. Yes. You know, I even if they're consistently okay. Like, I don't want a consistently okay team. I don't want a consistently okay coach. But we're bringing consistency. Yes. And that's a start. I, I couldn't agree more. I think consistency is, is – the key but you also like you said you know in you know diversity mentioning diversity I I agree with you diversity of ideas and ideologies I think that's great if you have a GM who has a a knack for being a defensive guy or finding defensive coaches or scouting defensive guys but an offensive minded head coach even though as long as they're on the same page about the the mission and goal of this team and going in the same direction I'm all for it I think ideological diversity is is great in any work setting where you're having to mesh ideas and collaborate and build a cohesive product. Um, but, you know, in the, in, on the racial side of it, a lot of people talk mm-hmm. about the effect of having a black head coach in the city of Atlanta and those types of things with the cultural aspect of things of that nature. I don't care. I don't care if he's red and green with blue polka dots. I don't care. Can he yeah. coach football? Can he win football games? Can the GM find talent? Put, a, put the team in position to win football games. Those are the questions. I, I want to hire the best guy for the job every single time. Yep. However, I think that the idea of having diversity should be more present in the hiring process. I think that's where it's important because it doesn't say that we're forcing the issue of hiring a black or a minority head coach, mm-hmm. but it just kind of says that it shows that we're giving everyone the same equal opportunity to get in front of us and show us what they have. And, I, and that's and that's where equality is. If you get to the get to that point and don't get the job, you, you just weren't the best man for the job. If that's the case, if that truly is the case, and there's not some other, but you know, just speaking at it from a face level, from a surface level, maybe you just you just weren't the best man for the job or the best person for the job. 
But when it comes to making that hire, have, you know, having a black head coach in the city of Atlanta, huge. It would be great. It would be amazing. But I don't think that's an absolute necessity. It's not something that has to be done for this football team to be, to be good. It, it's a matter of finding the best person, regardless of race, gender, whatever, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, who can win football games and put together a good product, a cohesive product, a product that we want to sit down and watch on Sundays with the same level of enthusiasm we had the year they went to the Super Bowl. That, yeah, that's I, when it's fun. I agree. I want that. But I think there's a pressure there to hire a minority head coach. And that's not, that's not to say that I necessarily 100% agree with it or even 100% disagree with it. I think there's a pressure there to hire a minority head coach. And I just hope it doesn't come at the cost of us being a losing and consistent team still. I agree. I, I don't want, like you said, forcing the issue is not, that's because that's not, at the end of the day, it's not equality. If we're going to sit here and beat on our quality soapboxes and say all these things and, and you know, kick against, um, you know, systematic oppression and, and, you know, different playing fields for different people, you know, if we want to put everyone on the same playing field and say, all right, who's the best to do the, this job or these jobs, that's the person who should get the job, in, in my opinion. Now, is that always the case? No, it's not. However, I think that should be the goal here. I think the outside pressure of, oh, we need a black head coach, we need this, we need that. At the end of the day, it's Arthur Blank. It's the decision maker's jobs to find the best person for the job, whether that person is, like I said, black, white, blue, green with, you know, orange polka dots whoever they are, let's get them in here. Let's get them, you know, the resources they need to work, whether that means trades or draft picks or whatever it looks like, get them the means and the resources they need to work and let's let them go to work and and get this thing back to where we know it can be, whether that means blowing up and rebuilding or whether that means going with what we have and being competitive from here, you know, for the next couple of years and then looking into the rebuild, rebuild stage once, you know, Matt and Julio and those guys are are on their last legs. But Mm -hmm. As far as that goes, you know, not going too far, I really do think that it comes to hiring the best guy for the job. I think that's what you should look at, and that should be your focus. Do we miss on that sometimes? Absolutely. Or sometimes do, do those different flags get thrown up to exclude certain people from the job? Absolutely. But I think if you're Atlanta, the goal needs to be, with that pressure and kind of the eye on you of trying to get, you know, oh, Atlanta's going to do it, they're going to hire a minority head coach or things like that. Your, your, your idea your, and your onus needs to be on, no, we're hiring the best guy for the job, period. I think that needs to be, needs to be where they're at. So, um, yeah, and looking forward from that kind of and thinking about moves of a potential GM or head coach, um, do the Falcons have a scouting problem? Do they have a problem with finding talent in your mind, in your eye? Do they have a problem with that? I don't, I don't think they do. I, I think on the defensive side, I don't think they they lack – I don't think they lack the ability. I think they know how to, and I think we've seen it. Um, I think if you look at – if you look at the Atlanta Falcons that we have, they're guys that will come in and they'll show up and they'll play. You have to think we drafted Julio. We drafted Calvin. We drafted Matt Ryan. Like, we, we drafted these high-end offensive players – the defense is where we struggle. And I think that's pretty clear. Um, I say it's pretty clear. We only put up 16 points today. Um, (laughs) So maybe it's not that clear. Uh, But I feel like the defense is, is the place that I don't necessarily think it's an issue. 
I just think it's something that we don't focus on or they don't focus on as much as they should or could. Um, I, I think because we've had a defensive coach and a defensive minded coach for so long, we feel the need to overcompensate. And so more of the time is focused on recruiting and scouting those offensive players and spending less time when the defense could use more strategic options or like you said, the diamonds in the rough that, oh, we can mold this guy. Um, I don't think it's a scouting issue as much as it is a balance issue. See, I'm, I'm on the other side of the fence. I personally think they absolutely have a scouting problem. Because if, I mean, looking at the guys that they've, they brought in there, the guys, Julio Jones, you knew Julio Jones was going to be good. You, you knew Matt Ryan was probably going to be a pretty good NFL quarterback. Calvin Ridley, those top of the draft guys that they have gotten on the offensive side of the ball, especially, you knew those guys were going to be good. And I agree with you. I don't think they have an issue on the offensive side of the ball. They can find guys at any round that can help all the way from top pick with Julio Jones, all the way down to, you know, fourth, fifth rounders, um, you know, Russell Gage, for example, mm-hmm. guys like that who can come in and just contribute special teamers, all those guys. They, they found those guys. I think the issue is scouting on the defensive side of the ball is, is one of the, the biggest issues, you know, Finding guys who want to play football, I think, is the top issue uh, or is one of the top things you should look for. I mean, Vic Beasley drafted him, what, sixth overall, eighth overall, and he wasn't even interested in playing football. He wanted to be a pastor, and you kind of saw that play out when he, when he went to Tennessee this year. You know, Tack McKinley, a guy who a lot of people thought could be good. He could be a top-notch pass rusher. He's got motor. He's got intangibles. But he never really made the next step, and you took him above guys like TJ, you know, T.J. Watt. Tredavious White, Ryan Ramchek, you know, all guys who could have filled positions of need on your offense had you taken them and had you given them, you know, maybe a deeper look or, or you know, figured out whatever you need to figure out, you know. But, you know, I think something's clearly broken in that department, whether it is just, like you said, a balance issue of, hey, we need to make sure we get the offensive guys and we can, we can piecemeal it together on defense, or whether it's just a, an outright, not doing all the homework on guys or whatever the case is. I'm not here to say what it is, but I do think scouting is an issue. And like you kind of alluded to as well, development being an issue um, is, you know, and I think those two things are as important, maybe not more important than the in-game coaching that has led the Falcons to the point they're at. But, you know, I'm kind of on the opposite. I do think there needs to be something done in the scouting department. I think they need to take a hard look at what's going on there because you can't just outright miss on a guy like Vic Beasley who told you up front that he wasn't super interested in playing football. He, he kind of made that clear um, that he, you know, so football wasn't his first love. It wasn't his first passion. And when you're a professional, not saying your job is everything, but if you're a professional, you kind of need to have a passion for it because if you don't with any job, you're going to burn out quickly. You're not going to do a very good job. And that seems to be the case with him and potentially even Tack McKinley. So, you know, looking forward into – into kind of next season and kind of kind of put our put your GM hat on a little bit. You're the Falcons. You've been named the Falcons general manager. Arthur Blank just got just called, got off the phone. Um, you know what? What are your first moves going to be? What are you thinking? What are you What are you looking to do initially? Yeah, I think you got to sit down and, and one of the first conversations you have to have is with Matt Ryan. Um, one, he's he's a lead, he's a clear leader of the team, but also He's getting up and he's getting up there in age. Uh, his contract is slowly coming to a close, and you have to sit down and say, "All right, Matt, we want you here. 
you know. We want to see you play. We want to see you retire a Falcon. But the reality is we need another quarterback because we don't want to as much as you as much as you could grab a guy like Joe Burrow that comes out and does phenomenal his rookie year. That's an anomaly because typically what you're going to get is guys like Baker Mayfield um, or, or RG3. Um, a lot of these Heisman winners that come out and they're like, yes, like I am, I am ready. And they step out on the field and maybe for their first season, they do great. And then they just kind of slowly fall away. Um, with that being said, obviously Joe Burrow is still in his rookie season. Um, he's not playing, but um, that could, that could be the case with him. He could fizzle out. Um, but I think when you look at other guys that have come in and been successful, when you look at uh, the Aaron Rodgers, when you look at the Patrick Mahomes, these are guys that played behind an elite quarterback. When you look at Tom Brady, when you look at Jimmy G, um, now I'm not going to say Jimmy G is the best example, but he, he's taken teams to the Super Bowl, you know, Um you look at these guys and, and one of the common themes is they've played behind an elite quarterback. They've watched a quarterback play. They have sat on the bench. We need to get a quarterback in that can sit for at least a year behind Matt Ryan, watch Matt Ryan play, and then be able to step in. After that, you really have to focus on the defense. I don't think you have a huge offensive issue. I think the main thing is what is our defense going to do? Yep. Where where do we need guys to step in? Where do we need guys to step up? What's our defense locker room situation look like? Are they passionate? Like you said, are they, do they want to play, you know? Yep. Cause sometimes you watch them and they're just like, Oh yeah, well, like you're not put together, you know? So making sure that everyone on the defense is on the same page uh, and making sure you have guys in there that have a fire and want to play. Definitely. Um, I think that's all, that's all, you know, an avenue for sure is to kind of get the young quarterback. And I mean, looking at your draft position, you're probably not going to get a Fields or, or a Trevor Lawrence. You're probably looking at a Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, if he, you know, stays, they, those guys stay in the top tier, um, you know, Zach Wilson potentially even, but I think those guys could work. I think you could potentially mold one of those guys into into a, a quarterback of the future one day. Now, are you going to get game-breaking potential? No, you're going to be a lot closer to – you're probably not going to even get Matt Ryan in those guys, if you're going to be honest. You're going to be, a, a, you know, lesser Matt Ryan. Poor man's Matt Ryan. But do you want – you know, is that where you want to rebuild your franchise at and what do you want to rebuild your franchise around? And if the answer is yes and you think you want to go for it in that, in that manner with that guy at the helm, I say go for it. But you also don't want to – pigeonhole yourself into a Denver situation I think where they signed Brock Osweiler to all that money for winning two games or three games or whatever it was and then we figure out Brock Osweiler is a bum Mm -hmm. and (laughs) now we're stuck with Brock Osweiler for four or three years four years five years and we and where we build this great team around him same look at the Colts got they build this great team around you know Andrew Luck who was their cornerstone their centerpiece he leaves and now they've got the defense. They've got the, the running game. They, you know, they've got the ability to acquire the skilled players, but they don't have a quarterback. Phillip Rivers is watched. Jacoby Brissett wasn't the guy. Um, so you got to make sure you don't put yourself in that situation where you think you got the guy, oh, wait, but then you don't. 
and now you've built everything around this guy counting on him to be the truth or still be there but then he's not Mm -hmm. um so i mean for me put me in that situation i'm cleaning house first of all coaching staff's gone scouting department's gone it's top down um i I think dan quinn's culture has got to go it's got to go and it's it's just got to go um my first look is Eric Bieniemy. I'm calling him Kansas City offensive coordinator. He's a prominent offensive mind. I want an offensive guy. I want I want I want a guy with that mentality. I don't. I'm not calling Dan Mullen. I'm not calling uh, Jim Harbaugh. They're on my blacklist. They will not be contacted. Um, however, um, I do think you got to be explosive. A guy who you know can reform your offense. Be explosive. He's very competent on that side of the ball. You've got so much money invested in there. You may as well get every ounce. Um, the next step. I think, I think I, it's a very clear thing that we will rebuild, but we will rebuild smartly. We're going to keep our powder dry. We're going to do things the right way. We're not just going to sell a guy off because we want to get him off our payroll. If a team comes and says, hey, we got two first, and a third, and a fifth for Julio Jones, I'll, enter- I'll entertain. We can, we, can, we can engage in discussion. If you say, tell me you want to give me a first and a seventh for Julio Jones, you can hit the bricks. So we're going to rebuild smartly. It's not going to be a secret that the rebuild is in the cards and it's going to probably happen soon. However, we're going to do it in a smart manner. That's going to get us, it's going to maximize the returns on the investments we get, whether that looks like Julio Jones and Matt Ryan playing out their contracts in Atlanta and us going for it, or whether that looks like trading them for a King's ransom, but it's got to be a King's ransom for Julio and Matt. Um, And then going from there, it's, it's a rebuild, you know, we're hopefully like the Braves in two to two to three, five years, you're back to relevancy again. You're looking like a team so, that wants to make moves. Do you think we're going to rebuild smartly or do you want to rebuild smartly? I want to rebuild smartly. I want to leave that option on the table. That option will probably not be on the table. If we're looking at the Falcons franchise, that's my opinion. If you're looking at the, Arthur Blank wants to win a Super Bowl as soon as possible. You know Arthur Blank's an old guy. Arthur Blank wants – he wants a ring. Yeah. He, he's shown the propensity to be successful in major league soccer. He wants an NFL ring. The, the Falcons are his big boy club. They're the big boy mm-hmm. investment, even though Atlanta United is good and they're fun to watch. The Falcons are kind of the prize jewel. The stadium was built for the Falcons. Atlanta United just plays there. Um, yeah. He wants to put some hardware in that stadium, have a ring before he leaves this earth, um, you know, logically speaking. Rebuild is not in the cards for Arthur Blank, though that's a cuss word in, in his – in his realm of speaking about that team. Um, he's going for it. He's got the guys. He signed them. That he's loyal to them. He's going for it. I, and I don't know that – I don't think it's a dumb move. It's a smart move, not a dumb move at all, especially with arguably one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, a Hall of Fame quarterback, Calvin Ridley, who could be a number one on most teams. Um, you just got to shore up some pieces. Offensive line, another issue. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out what you're doing there. I mean, it, you, look, you can look good at times, protect the passer, Look at the Raiders game. You can run the football. And then you can look as bad as ever. You can look like you got four high school kids or five high school kids out there trying to protect Matt Ryan. So I don't think rebuild is in the cards for the Falcons, but I do think rebuild is my idea. Smart rebuild if the options are there. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is it's a slow rebuild. Yeah, a soft rebuild, if you will. Just almost like you're coming into the first year feeling it out. You're almost mm-hmm. going to come in and almost say we're going with these guys. But if the right offer comes along, if someone wants to give me a first and a second for Deion Jones, if, you know, there are a few guys who I think are, are untouchable for me. I think I think Deion Jones is one of those untouchable guys. Grady Jarrett's untouchable. A.J. Terrell, I think, is an untouchable guy in, in a rebuild scenario. Um, 
Foye Aluakun, Jalen Hawkins, some of these young guys, those young offensive linemen, those guys are untouchable. We don't know what they are yet. But we know what Julio Jones is. We know the type of player he is. We know the type of return you can get if a team can fit his contract under their salary cap. I don't think it's a dumb move if, if the option is there. People think that's blasphemy in the city of Atlanta, and I understand that idea too. However, I think sometimes you got to make the tough decisions. If you're paid, paid the big bucks, and as a GM, you're paid the big bucks to do that. And if I'm the GM, I'm going to entertain the idea. But if the the smart options are not there – Believe me, I, I'm sticking with my guys because I know the potential this unit has. Yep, no, I, I agree 100%. Yeah, I think um, I think it all comes down to, obviously, Arthur Blank, what he wants to do, who they hire in those positions, and kind of what what freedom they're given in the direction that they, that they along with Arthur Blank and the head coach and, and others, really believe is right for the franchise. Yeah, obviously, we I think we kind of knew that, but it kind of kind of went without saying. But also, hope I hope to see – a competitive product sooner rather than later, whether that is next year or within two to three years because of a tear down rebuild. But mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And once again, this is what we want to see. We, we, like you were saying, we know who the Falcons are. Exactly. And that makes me scared. That makes me <laughs> nervous. And that makes me believe that they may not make the smart moves. Exactly. But this is what we want. This is, yes, we're hoping they make the seemingly intelligent moves, the smart moves. You know, as from a front office perspective, as far as ownership, I think the Falcons are as, as well run as as well run of an organization as probably you you could ask for outside of those top echelon Packers, um, Patriots, those types of franchises. Now, with that on with that on the other hand, you know, obviously we're kind of putting the shoes on our feet a little bit with that last question and topic, but. You know, I, I think there's there's a lot of wiggle room for where the, what the direction this team can go. So I think it's worth entertaining to kind of think about what are our options? What are all the options? Because I do think all the options will be considered. Whether or not Arthur Blank, you know, goes with the one we want or agree with, I think all the options are on the table, and he's going to give it heavy consideration and really think about it. So I think it's something that fans should definitely be prepared for and not and see know what all the options are and not be surprised if – they do press a button that maybe seems like one that we weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. And they get paid the big bucks for a reason. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So um, that's all we got for, for our NFL talk and for the Falcons today. We're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we're going to talk a little, a little college football specifically focusing on UGA up the road here from the 404 and kind of look at that new offense. Talk about how, you know, JT Daniels has been over his first two starts, even though they didn't have, have one last weekend. So uh, stick with us and we will be right back. I'm Isaiah, the host of the 404. I'm 24, a reporter, and looking for my shot in sports radio. You see, Atlanta, to me, is the best city in the world, even with all of our traffic, crazy weather, and the sports collapses. You see, with this podcast, I don't want things to be about me, though. Instead, I want it to be a place, or a forum, if you will, where you, the fans, come to discuss the good, the bad, and even the ugly about sports in the 404. You see, forums came from ancient Rome as a place for them to discuss the events of the day. As we know, Rome was a place with art, music, and sports, all things the 404 is very well known for. And if the ancient Romans needed a place to sound off on the issues of the day, well, let's just say Atlanta sports fans are long overdue for theirs. New episodes will be dropping weekly, so please be sure to listen, like, subscribe, and leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 
And be sure to give us a like on Facebook at The 404. And let me hear your thoughts, opinions, and even hot takes on the happenings of the 404 sports world. Remember, it's a forum, so we always want to hear what you have to say. What's up, guys? We're back. This is Isaiah Smith, your host of the 404. Um, I still have Eric here with me. Just came out of some Falcons talk. Now I'm going to keep pushing forward, talking about a little UGA football and kind of break down, you know, this new look offense with the new look guy at the helm and JT Daniels. So, you know, JT Daniels has looked good. I think we can all agree to that coming out against Mississippi State, having his coming out party and then kind of, you know, just managing the game really against South Carolina, but he didn't have to do much because, you know, it's kind of the thing when you see seven, eight man boxes, it's tough to run the football, but even a six man box, taking that one extra defender out, look at what the, what Georgia's running backs are able to do. Look at how much talent you have in that backfield. So I think, I don't know. I think you would agree with this, Eric, but um, you know, JT Daniels looks like a guy that we want to see under center. Am I not wrong? Wrong about that? Yeah. No, I, I love it. I'm here for it. Um, it it makes you wonder, what were we doing? Obviously, JT Daniels was hurt. He came out and uh, started the season with a little bit of injuries, but I almost wondered how long Kirby was riding with um, – Stetson Bennett. You've already Stetson forgot Bennett. his name. You already <laughs> forgot his name. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what – you wonder how long was he riding with Stetson Bennett before it's like – all right, I'm – he's had enough, you know? Like, when could JT have actually have stepped in? Yeah, I, I think he – I think he stepped in when he was able to step in. I really do. I think, you know, you got to commend the athletic department, trainers, Kirby Smart, you know, for saying, hey, we're going to make sure this guy's fully healthy before we put him out here in the line of fire. So, as much as it frustrates, you know, us as fans, I'll definitely say, and other fans, to not see JT Daniels on the field, even though he was cleared or things of that nature, I think putting the health of the student athlete first is, is the right call in every situation. I don't think there's, that's anything you can really be upset about. Um, however, you know, JT Daniels, after seeing his body of work through two whole weeks, that's, you know, not quite, barely can put a highlight tape together from that, but um, he's already getting a lot of buzz, first-round buzz, for the 2021 NFL draft this upcoming spring. So, in your eyes, and your mind, what are the chances that he comes out after a handful of games at Georgia? I don't think he can. Um, I mean, I, I, I say I think he can very loosely. He could, um, but I don't, think, I don't think he has enough good looks yet. Um, mm -hmm. He, I mean – you got to look at the guys he's coming out with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, um, just a couple of the big names. And then you've got, uh, what's his name in North Dakota state that Trey Lance. Saying, yeah, he's looking really good. You know, he, he's stepping into um, this world of quarterbacks that have had three or four years to prove themselves. And he's had two games. If everything else keeps getting canceled, you know, yep. um, he may have one bowl game. And that's not enough to see how he performs under pressure, you know, in, in big game situations. How does he, how how does he handle adversity? Yeah. You know, he's we, – we've played uh, Mississippi State. We've played um, South Carolina. We would have played Missouri and Vanderbilt. You know, these are not mm -hmm. teams that you're looking at, okay, this is going to be a close game. Um, these are – for the most part, teams that you could come out and say, all right, let's do what we do, you know? Yep, I agree. I think um, 
I don't think he comes out either. I think that it's buzz. I think it's just talk. I think people are seeing the, you know, the knee-jerk reaction to the big arm kid at Georgia, and man, look at how good he is. But I think his, like you said, his body of work is not what it needs to be to really get a good look at him, to really give scouts and NFL analysts an opportunity to know what he can and can't do um, completely. Um, I think his health may be a concern. Do you want to bring a guy in who you're probably going to have to do another, you want to do an NFL red shirt year, for example, and not let him touch the field a lot. You know, that that's not going to make him attractive to a New York Jets or, a, you know, a Jacksonville or a team that's bottom tier, you know, so he's mm-hmm. still looking at sliding down the chart just for that matter of, okay, how healthy is he? Is he really going to be ready to go take an NFL beating or, you know, does he need a little more time, that kind of thing. Also, you, you spoke on it again, the, the loaded class, Fields, Lawrence, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, Trey Lance, and whoever else may decide that they want to put on a show at the Combine as well. Um, so, I, I mean, I think if scouts feel like he's a surefire thing, if that's the intel and the, and the feedback he's getting, I, I don't see – I'm not going to tell a guy not to go make his money. If he really does think he can get there and have a good combine and put on a show and do those things because he's got the physical tools, he's got the smarts. I mean, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, said he's almost annoyed with how much JT Daniels will text and ask questions or, or want to talk in meetings or after meetings and say, hey, coach, what about this? What about this? In this situation, should we? Or in this situation, what should we do here? Um, so I, I do think that – that you know that's a, that's something that's definitely on his side I think he's a guy that they like at Georgia however you know I do think he doesn't have the tape to show he hasn't played the top-notch opponent you know he didn't play against Alabama didn't play against Florida hasn't seen a top-notch defense which he'll get the opportunity to do hopefully multiple times next year but will definitely get the opportunity to do right out of the gate because Georgia opens with Clemson next season so that'll be a fun one to watch if JT if it's JT Daniels versus DJ Uyunglele so That'll be yeah. You didn't know I had that one in the in the repertoire there, did you? But oh man, pull that one out your pocket. Oh yeah, yeah. Using those uh, fifty cent words, but nonetheless, um, you know, seeing those two guys duel on a you know, if I don't know if it's a neutral field or even at one of their home home stadiums, will be a ton of fun. Great for football. Great to watch with you know JT Daniels getting his weapons back and all those things. And you know how much more better is his draft stock going to be to add you know a national championship, SEC championship, SEC East championship, um, you know college football playoff birth, whatever it may be, how much better is it going to be to add that to his resume? Oh, I don't, I don't think he can go wrong. He's also a young, he's already a young kid. So he, you know, he came out a year early, so he's already a year behind and he can still play for I believe, two or three more years at Georgia if he wants to anyway, with the lost year because of COVID-19 and everyone getting a free year. So I'm, I, you know, not only do I think he's going to be an NFL guy at some point, I think he will return to Georgia, but I also think, it's fun to see him just be physically capable to do the things that Todd Munkin wants him to do. I mean, those guys are getting schemed open in, in, in the, you know, 15 to 20 yard range down the field. We Stetson Bennett couldn't see over him. Dwan Mathis just couldn't get it together. He wasn't, the, he wasn't that guy. We thought he was could be or was going to be. But man, JT Daniels is that dude, it seems like. And if you bring another guy in Brock Vandegriffin, who we think could also be that dude, you could have two dudes back to back and, and now you're, you're really hitting your stride after people questioned after, you know, I questioned what the heck Kirby Smart was doing to quarterback position, you know, yeah. a month ago. And it just kind of shows you how quickly the narrative in college football can change, you know, one small stroke and you go from being the biggest idiot on the planet to being the biggest genius on the planet. Look at Auburn and Gus Malzahn and how they treat him. Um, he, you know, people they want to fire Gus Malzahn every two years, but then he looks around and beats Alabama at the end of the year. <laughs> And now he's got a contract extension for five more years and the, and the cycle restarts within one to two years. So, you know, looking at Georgia kind of 
looking at Todd Munkin's offense with JT Daniels, though, you know, what are your reflections over the past couple weeks and, and getting to see that and watch it and really take it in? Yeah, I mean, I think now that we have a quarterback that can throw the ball, you open up the run game so much. Um, and, and when you allow Georgia to run the ball, you don't stand a chance. When you have four running backs that you can yep. put on the field and they can consistently run and you have a quarterback that can put the ball 40, 50 yards downfield. Uh, hit guys in stride. Yeah. I mean, you, how, do you, how do you plan to stop that? If yeah. you have college kids that aren't going to make it to the NFL in your secondary, That's or if true. you have guys in the box that aren't going to – they're not like league players, you can't stop it because you've got three guys that are playing right next to the quarterback that can make it to the NFL. Yes. And you have a guy that can throw the ball like he's going to the NFL. You know, I – when you open up your offense that much and you already have a spectacular defense that's going to stop most offensive teams um, outside of Alabama, you know. That's still going to give you a chance to win most football games, I'll say. Exactly. Exactly. And I think if you look at – obviously, we say what if. Um, but if you look at Georgia playing Alabama with Daniels, the game could be completely different because you have a guy that can get it over the offensive line. You have a guy that can open up the box or put it downfield, you know, um, oh, yeah. a game manager. I think he, he's more than a game manager. He, he slides into, into game breaker territory because, and we're seeing almost an abbreviated version of him because his, the knee, you know, his knee is still on the mend. He's still recovering with that, but he was a moderately mobile guy at USC. You know, he's a big body guy that really can embrace contact. And if he has to scramble and go beyond the line of scrimmage, he, he moves, you know, okay for a guy his size and, and can, you know, you can, you look for him to keep it on the backside of those, some of those, you know, handoffs and pull it and take it off the backside and potentially go 12, 15 yards or, or take it in the end zone from, you know, 12 or 15 yards out. So mm-hmm. I think that's, an advantage once he get the healthier he gets the better the knee feels the more the, the coaches are comfortable putting him in situations to use his legs I definitely think that's an advantage and you just look at South Carolina trying to stop Georgia's run game with those big physical powerful offensive linemen trying to stop the run game with eight versus trying to stop it with six I know it's two guys but man it makes a difference you know just look at look at look at the results and, and the same thing kind of um, going forward look at how much easier it's going to be to run the football when the the guy when the number in the box shrinks to five. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one guy again, but going from eight to five or nine to five or whatever it is, that's a big difference for for those backs and for the, those offensive linemen with communication and just being able to do their job. So I'm looking forward to it. I think the more time he gets in the system, the more comfortable he is, the more fun it's going to be to watch Georgia go out there and hopefully beat the, you know what, out of out of a lot of people next year and beat some good teams, not just beat the Vanderbilts, the Missouris, the South Carolinas, but to beat the Floridas who really think that they're back and they are not back. To go out there and, and beat the, you know, compete with an Alabama, to go toe-to-toe with them in an SEC title game, to, to beat an Auburn who hopefully will be a little bit better and more improved. So it's all exciting and I'm definitely looking forward to it. But you know, kind of to keep things rolling, not to bog down as we talk about Georgia football all day. Um, keep things rolling here. College football playoff. Um, a lot of complaints. People are 
you know, they're, they're banging their drum about these, com- this committee and their rankings and all those things. Um, but, you know, kind of a two-parter here. Is Georgia overrated, number one? And number two, who's underrated? Who needs to move from where they're at higher into the top four potentially? Or, you know, who needs to move? Yeah. Um, we'll start with Georgia. I think it's a struggle for me to say that Georgia is – I think Georgia's a little overrated. Um, I'll put it out there. I, I think things have changed now that we've got JT Daniels. We, we haven't seen a ton of that. Um, and yes, you've got a loss to two really good teams in, in Florida and Alabama, mm-hmm. but I mean, you look at other two lost teams that have lost to, to good, good teams. I think Georgia is better than most two lost teams, better than probably most one loss teams. But I, I just think where they're ranked right now, I'd say they're a little overrated. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think you can say that they are the best two-loss team. I think you can argue that they're better than every one-loss team outside of Clemson and maybe Texas A&M. You, you can argue Texas A&M's, you know, just to argue. But I think you can argue Clemson's definitely a better one-loss team. But I think you could say Georgia's the best, you know, could be the second-best team with a loss. Behind, behind one of those teams. And then, obviously, BYU from, from this weekend, you can say that as well. But, you know, I'm not going to say that they're completely overrated. I think when you look at it, if you're trying to find the best teams in America, but I think you also have to look at those resumes and say, hey, Georgia's lost twice, Cincinnati, BYU, whoever. They haven't lost at all. That's got to be rewarded in some way because if it's not, what's the point of having the, the, the rankings? Let's just rank the teams based on records and we take all the undefeated teams, put them at the top, all the one-loss teams, put them right below so on and so forth, and, and don't don't have a committee to kind of break these things down and analyze them. But all, all that aside, you know, I think the rankings have issues in and of themselves, mainly because, you know, it goes back to, to the whole year one question. Do we want the best team or the most deserving team? When this thing first started, we thought it was the most deserving team. The four teams that deserved to be in a playoff would make it. Hence, TCU should have made the playoff in year one. However, Ohio State made the playoff, ended up winning the national title. So we have the standard of, okay, it's the four best teams. The four teams that are the best four teams in college football make the playoff. Well, now we're kind of seeing that definition be revamped, partly because of COVID, I think, partly because of, you know, just the times we live in. But now I think we're looking at the four best, you know, we got to find the four best teams who deserve to be in a playoff who are also going to bring in revenue. I think those are all things, which – goes gets to our next topic of Ohio State you know is Ohio State a top four team number one is Ohio State a top four team and kind of you know just give me your thoughts on the criteria of the playoff you know maybe branching from four best teams to the four best teams who are also going to bring revenue and deserve to be here yeah I um I'll be the first person to say I'm not by any means an Ohio State fan but I also think they're a top four team, um, and that that's tough for me to say. They've only played five games. Obviously, mm-hmm. they haven't sit here, sat here and proven themselves. Um, it's not like they've played Florida. They haven't played Alabama. They don't play Clemson. Um, but they're five and zero. They look good. They have an NFL caliber quarterback. Um, they have uh, a high power offense. You know, this is this is the Ohio State that we all love to hate you know Mm -hmm. um i I think this is a a good team um i think they're a playoff team Uh, i almost say rank them ahead of clemson clemson had that loss um ohio state has not lost they've also played five less games 
That's the kicker. And that's, that is the kicker. You, you look at a team that's played half the games. You know, if Georgia played half the games, they'd be undefeated. If Clemson <laughs> played half the games, they'd be undefeated. If Indiana played half the games, Potentially they could undefeated. technically be undefeated. Yep. You know, um, a lot of these one-loss teams, if they played half the games, they could be undefeated. But I think the biggest difference is Ohio State's history. Um, you look at Historically, they're a great team. Um, and that doesn't always necessarily mean that this year they're the best. But a lot of that talent carries over. Um, and a lot of that talent from last year carried over. And so I think they are a top four team. I think their record says they're a top four team, but I don't know if they've proven that they're a top four team. Yes. And that, and that's kind of goes to how much do we need to see it in this abridged year where everything is weird? How much do we need you to prove to us that you're a top four team? I think on paper, Ohio State's a top four team. I really do think on, you know, with the eye test and looking at their body of work thus far, they're a top four team. So I think, you know, there's a speculation of, will they, well, you know, will the Big Ten amend their rules if Michigan can't play in the Big Ten championship next week? for issues, you know, would, you know, Kirk Herbstreet, uh, you know, kind of alluded to, well, Michigan could cancel and keep Ohio State out of a Big Ten championship. Well, you know, then he came back and apologized for that, with you know, such being such a big rivalry and things like that. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's a lot of things. Jim Harbaugh ain't a quitter. Any chance Jim, Har- Jim Harbaugh's a Michigan man through and through, if you had a guy that didn't have the Michigan – blood in him that didn't understand the the magnitude and level of that rivalry at a personal level from having participated in it himself maybe if you had a guy who wasn't a, a Michigan grad a Michigan guy who played quarterback at Michigan you might could say yeah he might cancel that game Jim Harbaugh's not not passing up any opportunity it doesn't matter if he's a million to one underdog he's not gonna pass up any opportunity to go out there and strap it up and go against Ohio State if he's got an equal chance to win a football game against him and I, and I think that's really what it'll be unless there's just they're ravaged by COVID or something like that you don't have to worry about that. Any same way as Ohio State wants to kick the crap out of Michigan, Michigan's not going to pass up an opportunity to go out there, put it on, you know, lace it up in a zero-zero football game, and <laughs> try to beat Ohio State. That's just the way it is. Um, so, you know, kind of dis- dismissing that, you know, I don't see how you leave out a Big Ten champion with the Big Ten being the conference that it is. I don't, even though they haven't gone up against elite competition, they don't look invincible anymore. All that being said and in mind. I think it it really is. They really are one of the four best teams. They have a top 10 win over Indiana. If, when you can argue Indiana's merit if you want to. They've won the games. They've done what they're supposed to do. They're a top 10 team in my book, if, they, if that's what the committee says, rank them. Um, however, it goes back to that whole argument of who's supposed to be in. You know, looking at resumes, um, maybe, you know, who has who has a better a better resume than Ohio State? Does Cincinnati have a better resume? No. BYU? No. Texas A&M, no. Miami, maybe because they played, you know, Clemson, but probably not. So, with that in mind, thinking about it, and I think Ohio State's top four team. I think we're going to see them in the playoffs. They can do what they're supposed to do and run the table. And it's going to make some people upset, but we're in a weird year, and you got to accept some things that maybe aren't the norm, if that yeah. makes sense. And I think some one things- of the biggest issues with them playing is they haven't had all the all – the, like, they haven't been beat up yet, you know? Exactly. They've played half the games. They're still fresh. You exactly. Know? These other teams, especially when you look at the Alabama, when you look at um, Texas A&M, Florida, even Notre Dame, like, these are teams that have gone up against other elite teams and played against 
offensive and defensive linemen that are NFL caliber players, and they've gone out there and they've gotten beat up. Ohio State has not. They're fresh. They are good. They are just getting warmed up. Exactly, and I think that may be an advantage, but we'll definitely be able to see that come to fruition and see if it helps or hurts or, or you know, see what happens when they when they hit that adversity against a, a top team, not just in their conference, but a top team in the country, one of the better teams that we've seen, you know, this year in college football if they make the playoff. But kind of the last topic here to, to boil it down and bring this college football talk to an end, you know, we've seen COVID-19 cancel – I don't know, bunches of football games, it seems like, um, and events and all that stuff. You know, are we going to get to see a national champion crowned, you know, really quickly to close out? Is that is that in the cards for us? Um, I could see it. I, I think it's going to take time. People are going to have to be patient. We're going to have to understand that um, it's going to, it's going to look different. It's going to be different. But now that we've, um, now that we've got the what's it called the shot the vaccine the vaccine man <laughs> words are tough today goodness gracious but now that we've got a vaccine um i i think i think that's gonna the help the chances you know oh, yeah. um, it, if these players start getting vaccinated if um fans start getting vaccinated if the country starts to to vaccinate then I think it will look more normal. Um, I think we'll be able to crown it. Uh, but I think we also have to, to be understanding and that this year is going to look different. Uh, I know Ohio State that's played six six games, you know, like mm-hmm. they could be in it. Um, playing against an, an Alabama team or a Notre Dame team that's played 11, 12, 14 games. Um, so I don't necessarily want to say this one's going to have the asterisk next to it because a winner is a winner, but I think college football fans are going to have to be patient. Definitely. I, you know, they've already said, I believe the Rose Bowl won't have fans, um, which is, a, you know, big difference. You know, the Parade of Roses, I don't think is going to happen this year, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it's going to be some differences, some weird things, some, some things we're not used to seeing, um, as has the whole year of 2020. And I'm, firmly believe probably the front half of 2021 will hold as well when it comes to sporting events or doing things more, you know, quote unquote, normally, um, mm-hmm. if you want to call them that. So I think, you know, may require some flex- flexibility. We can't just, you know, damn the torpedoes and, and go through it, go put our heads down and go and ignore everything else that happens around us. Cause that's just going to end up being a bad scenario. You're not going to get a true champion. You're not going to get an accurate sampling or, or a look at what things um, what things would have been had you could have had you kept things normal. So I think potentially entertaining the bubble for that final four, um, you know, you could make it last a week to two weeks, keep things pretty tame there. Um, I'm sure you would have flexibility and cooperation from your, your stadiums and sponsors, because at the end of the day, this is probably one of, you know, making this happen is something that they're hinging on to make, help make revenue for this year. Um, also, you know, you know, you hope it happens with minimal delays, but I think delays are something we have to, be okay with if we need to push the national title or push the playoff or push conference championship weeks or whatever you know I know that's not something Mark Emmert and you know even the SEC commissioner Greg Sankey has said that you know none of those people are interested in doing that like none of the fans are interested in having that done however it's something that I think we have to be open to something that you know I think 
we're going to have to be okay with because there may not be another alternative if we want to get this done. So I think taking it week by week, day by day, surveying the field and doing what's right and not just trying to say, let's be, let's do it like we always have because it was fun that way, because we're not living in times that are like we've always lived in. So with that in mind, I think, you know, patience, like you said, is going to be the key and a willingness to adapt and be flexible and do what we got to do to get through this, you know, healthy and, and, and with a good time being had ball and crowning a champion. So. Yep. And I think with that though, you, it, it allows us to open up questions for next year about more deserving or like who earned it and who deserves Definitely. it. Potentially, you know, expanding the playoff field is one if the season is weird. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you talked about with vaccinations, who get, you know, who gets the vaccine in college football first, who, who gets it, you know, we, you know, we know kind of the hierarchy of people, a lot of, you know, people, student athletes, coaches, whatever, a lot would be on that set, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, um, depending on your willingness to take the vaccine. I um, mean, you know, not to get into all that, but, you know, not to overly politicize this thing. There's a lot going into this and decisions to be made and, and who gets it and who doesn't and when do they get it and how much is going to be shipped to campuses across the U.S. and things like that. So I personally believe that we're, we're in for another weird year, maybe not as weird as this one, but another weird year of college football. And I, don't, I think, you know, like I said to a lot of people, we're looking at returning to whatever normal is or was potentially 2022, just with thinking about dis- distribution of the vaccine, who gets it first, when how can we mass produce this thing? All those types of things are, are questions that have to be answered. But, mm-hmm. you know, not to end on, on, a, on a sour note with COVID-19 and weird years and stuff, but, um, you know, just kind of some of those things you got to look for and look up and, and be realistic about, I think. Couldn't agree more. Oh, yeah. So um, that's all we have. Uh, thank you, Eric, for, for hopping on the day after your birthday. Hope uh, 25 treats you good and uh, you get all the rental cars and condos you, you can, your heart desires with that. But yeah, um, thanks for hopping on and talking some shop and hope to have you back on soon. And, um, you know, thank you guys for listening um, to the 404 Forum for, for spending time and uh, hope to be back next week with some, some Hawks basketball talk, potentially um, getting to, into some high school basketball, talking about some different things of that nature because we know high school basketball in the state of Georgia is a different animal from from other states and other sports even. And also with football season winding down as well, best of luck to those teams finishing out their seasons, looking to make that state championship run, um, you know, best of luck as well. So that's all we got today. Thank you guys for listening. This is Isaiah Smith signing off, and I will talk to you guys next week.